Stay put. Technical difficulties. So with both great excitement and sadness, I want to be able to read this to you um, and what Brittany has written for uh, to be shared. It has already been shared with her parents and uh, members of the staff, and now it's being shared with you. So with both excitement and sadness that I must formally resign from my position as Little Lamb Center Director, effective October 30th, 2020, I have accepted the position at Hendersonville First United Methodist Church as the new children's ministry director. As you know, I have grown weary in my role as child care director at Little Lambs. This position is very challenging at times and has negatively impacted my work-life balance, taking me away from what I feel like God is calling me to do. I find myself very excited to assist Stephanie in children's ministry events and programming, but very anxious in my day-to-day role as the child care director. I'm not able to step away when I want to because the work here never stops. The boundaries between church and work are very blurred for me, and I find my hand in more pots than I can handle. I very much appreciate the opportunity you have given me. Under the leadership of Pastor Jeremy and the wings of this church family, I have grown so much professionally, spiritually, and personally. This church has become my home, and the people here are my family. It will be very difficult to leave, but God commands us to do hard things, and when done to glorify Him, He equips us. So you can celebrate Brittany, her new calling, but you can also uh, have the sadness as we lose Brittany uh, over this time, but that's how it works when you're called by God uh, to go to the next place and to do the next thing. And uh, Brittany's a Markin, and she's listening to God's call, and we appreciate all that she's done here. And next week we will celebrate the whole family as they come together for the last time. But let's give Brittany a, a round of thanks for all that she has done for us. We will miss you. So what kind of disciple are you is what we're talking about. It's the question that we're asking every week. And maybe your answer is changing too. Maybe you've wondered why you like one gospel more than another. Are you a Mark, a Matthew, a Luke, a John-focused disciple? Today, could you be a Matthew? That's what we're focused on. Understanding that intentional path of development if we are Matthew and how that might work and live in our lives as we gather together. If you haven't taken the 22-question little quiz, I invite you to do that and just to, to take that and soak it in. I'd love for you to send it to me uh, so I can be able to collect those. We have over 60 of those now. So I really appreciate everybody who's doing that. And uh, it's great to know kind of as a congregation where we might land as well and resonate with. So let's take this this morning and think about what it means to be a Matthew. Let's pray. Gracious God, may the words that I say be acceptable and pleasing to you and may they speak to the heart of what it means to be a Mathean disciple. They are not everything, but they are something. They are a place to start. Let your words, my words, become your words. And may they speak then into challenge and convict us and guide us in our own discipleship journey, no matter where that might be. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. 
And everybody said together, Amen. I tell you, you couldn't ask for a better song than We Are the Body to, to really think about what it means to be a Matthew. I remember singing that song at the top of my lungs when it first came out. And that, that fire, that want to, to be able to do everything that it said in that song and for the church to be that. If you did the same thing, you probably have a little of Matthew in you when you're thinking about those things. My neighbor Tom and I always seem to be in competition in our yard work. If you don't know it, Krista and Tom Parnon live next door to me, and that's how they got to this church in, in the first place when they first moved here. I will mow our grass, then they will mow theirs. He will weed, and then I will. And just yesterday we were trimming and cutting our landscaping, and next thing I knew, his shearers were going too. We have this joke about this whole idea of just do it. We'll just get it done. Time to get it done. We both just do things when we think it's time to do them. Those are the traits of a Matthean disciple as well. It turns out that both Tom and I are Matthean. Maybe some of you are too. Though he said when he sent me his results, he said, I'm a Matthean with a side of Lucan. Maybe you feel that way too. You probably could see that within Tom, too, if you know Tom. And I think that's part of this deal, too, is that as you begin to explore this, you're probably seeing the resonations with other people. You're like, oh, yeah, I definitely see that in you. Or they see it in you. So now we've gotten to one of the two types that I am. And I'll leave it to you to figure out what the other type might be. You may have already figured that out or have some ideas, and we'll explore that in the weeks to come. But of the four Gospels, Matthew is the only one that mentions the word we translate as church. The word is ecclesia. Say ecclesia. Ecclesia. See, it rolls off your tongue. The Greek word. You can express your friends with that. And it's in Matthew 16, 18 that Jesus renamed Simon Peter. And it talks about the church. And he plainly adds that on this rock that Jesus will build the ecclesia, the church. Well, why is this so important? Well, making sure people knew that this church was authorized by God and was led by Peter may have been an active early concern in the church. It may also explain why Matthew has more material about Peter than any other gospel. Matthew was written after the fall of the temple. And there is no more Jewish religion organized. Now you might have also noticed when you've read Matthew before that it's organized based on the life of Jesus. It begins with the story of his birth we're so familiar with. And it closes with stories of his death on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension. They're all there. And then through the middle of the book, there are five sections of teaching. How do we know that? Well, each section ends with these words or something like them. When Jesus finished these words. Yep, that's how every section ends. Something like that. Every section. And then it goes to a new section. You see, the Gospel of Matthew is organized into a flow that would resonate with people who focused on the church. 
and had a highly organized, teaching-centered worship. That's why Methian disciples are drawn to the church. In addition to the experience of church, Matheans like me are drawn to the structure. They're drawn to the rituals. They're drawn to the practices. Matheans are very committed to the church. They like being part of an organization, religious or otherwise. That's what they do. They're part of organizations. And you can't tell my office. Don't look at it. It's like a bomb went off in there. But Matheans prefer organization. And they have the ability to pay attention to detail. The devil is in the details is so true to Matheans. You see this detail in Matthew 5.18. See, Matthew is very concerned with the details of his stories. And particularly the details of the organized part of the faith, which is the law. If the Markins, as David said last week, are just the facts, Matheans are concerned with the details. And we all know, if you know me, how much I like details. Hey, stop it. I'm stopped. I'm from the peanut gallery in the back over there. You see, Jesus and Matthew did not come to abolish the law. That's what it says in verse 17. And the prophets, but to fulfill them. See, this, in fact, this, in Matthew, one of the most famous parts, the Sermon on the Mount, is not just about affirming the law, but applying it. He says, do not murder. Well, how about don't even carry anger in your heart? You see, Jesus is teaching his followers the deeper meaning of the law, the details. And take off of Jeff Foxworthy from years ago. You might be a Matthean if paying attention to the smallest detail and clarifying the plan is your mindset. Amen? This attention to detail around the law, for instance, tells Matheans what they should do, how they should do it, and in some ways, why they should do it. Matheans are people of action. In order to take action, we need direction. We can't do it without direction. We don't have that, that ability. And Matthew's Gospel portrays Jesus as a new Moses. If you look through Matthew's Gospel, you'll see many, many parts that reflect back to Moses. And it reads like an instruction manual, which maybe for some of you is why I don't really like Matthew. There's just so much detail and so many things telling what I have to do. But Matthean disciples are grateful for the instructions. They like following instructions. They like to, you know, when I get the thing that I'm going to get at home and I, I open the box up and it has instructions in it, I actually use those instructions. I'm looking at you. That's right. You know, you know me. I, what? I know. So Davis and I are working on a project together. I'm looking at the instructions. Davis is already throwing those to the side. I'm picking them back up. I'm opening them back up. I'm looking at it. Where do these parts go? Well, we'll figure it out. I'm like, no, this part goes here in step 13. We need to wait until we get to step 13 to put that part in there. Right? Okay. That's a difference. See, Matthew could also be called the soundbite gospel. It has all the good quotes in it, all the faves. Do not judge or you will be judged. Ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Those are all action verbs. Matthew likes action. Or Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 makes the top of your list probably no matter what type you may resonate with. Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. You see, Matthews are are good at carrying burdens. They may carry emotional or intellectual or physical burdens. Matthews are hard workers. They live that out. But they do appreciate it when the work can be made easier. It's probably a Matthew who would say, work blank, but not harder. Work smarter, but not harder. You see, working with a purpose like serving Jesus, though, makes the work lighter and easier. But it's important for Matthean disciples to have a clarity about what burdens they're supposed to pick up and what burdens they are supposed to lay down. They're not good at that. The ones that Christ calls them will be light, and the ones that He doesn't call them to will weigh them down to exhaustion. I'm not going to lie, over the last six months it's been a real struggle to know what burdens to take up and what burdens to lay down and not carry the weight of it all. It's hard to figure those things out, especially when you're designed in this way. Now, some Athenians might recognize if a burden is too heavy to carry, it may need to be set down. And they might raise the question, if this is too hard for, to carry for us, does it really reflect God's will for us? I think a little marking sticks into them. But they may still struggle to put it down because they don't want to fail at working for God. That's a big deal to Matthians, to fail at working for God. That you've let God down. It's a hard piece to carry. They aren't afraid of the hard work, but they're also afraid of wasting their time and energy, something that's not called for by God. And Matthew's last instructions from Jesus to his disciples is to teach. To teach. There are more of Jesus' teachings found in the Gospel of Matthew than any of the other Gospels or any other book of the Bible. The quintessential example is the Sermon on the Mount. That is a huge piece in Matthew's Gospel, followed by the instructions for the missionaries and then all of the parables. They all teach people how to live. In particular, they teach people how to live as if the kingdom is real and among us. That's what he constantly says. In Matthew 5-7, through 7, if you want the instructions on how to be a good follower of Jesus, Matthew 5-7 through 7 describes how to be a good follower of Jesus. It is those instructions, like the beatitude, and how to live life fully in the law. Then the missionary instructions in Matthew 10 are how disciples are to carry Jesus' mission into the world, step-by-step instructions. 
And we see a great difference, though, in those instructions that are given in Matthew than the ones that are given in Luke. See, Luke tells the 72 who are commissioned they are to go and spend time with the people in their homes, living with them and healing and sharing moments with them before they tell them about Jesus. It's a perfect, relationship-driven, Lucan approach. But in Matthew, that's not the same story. In Matthew, Jesus commissions the twelve to come in the door announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand and then engage in a series of actions to prove it. Very different. And as for the parables of Matthew 13, they are the illustrations about the kingdom of heaven that primarily use just examples of ordinary life. The elements in them are often tied to the work, the farmer, the soil, the weeds, the treasure, the merchant, the actions that took place in everyday Jewish life. The kingdom of heaven is like. You see, Jesus is teaching about how to integrate faith into your everyday life. And how it affects everything that we do with our faith. And the Matthians love to be taught. And to some extent, they love to teach. However, Michelle says in the, in the guide, unlike Johannian disciples who learn for the sake of learning, Matthews learn for the sake of doing. So they want real information. They want nuts and bolts. They don't want pie in the sky. They want things that tell them how to live. They need to have a purpose for their learning. They don't just learn for the sake of learning. That'll be John's later on. Now, I love to teach, and I think that I'm pretty good at it. And some would say that probably rightly so, I am a better teacher than I am a preacher. My entire 25 years of doing this, I have struggled with meeting the expectations of other people who expect something different. And it's taken a long time and still is in a process of just being okay with the fact that a teacher is good. That's who I am. I won't be anything different because God created me to be just that way. Holy smokes, who's calling me during worship? Ah, maybe it's God calling. And so in this teaching, in these teaching moments, when we look at that and think about that, Jesus had a purpose to what he taught. I'm not really good about learning things just for the sake of just learning them unless there's a purpose behind it. I'm really good about that. And his purpose was, as Michelle says once again, to change our lives and the lives of the people around us through the actions we take to make a better world. We could ask for a better definition than that. A world where the kingdom of heaven has come and is clearly present is what Matthew is all about. You see, Matthew's are followers. 
but they will only follow leaders who seem to fit the plan. It's important for someone wanting to lead Matthians to show how they have things planned out, how they have things fitting in their system. Matthews are willing to change the system, but needs to make sense in the plan and then to be able to connect it where we have been to where we're going to go in a discernible way. I am not good about, you know, we're here and we need to get here and we're just going to let it just kind of go. Tell me what the plan is. Give me some idea. That's why pandemic's really hard. Plans change about every single hour. It's hard to figure out where we are to where we're going to go in a discernible way. That's why Matthians resonate especially well with intentional discipleship systems, vision statements, ministry action plans. If that automatically shuts you down, then that's probably Matthew is probably not one of the directions that you resonate. They like to know where they're going and they want to know how to get from point A to point B. It is very rarely I ever get in my car whether we're going somewhere five minutes away or 30 minutes away that I don't have the GPS up to be able to see where we are and how we're going to get there. I don't like surprises. I did every morning taking a hand of the school when we drove to Nashville every day. Put the GPS on, see what we're facing. That's my bread and butter. Point A to point B. We're in debt, how are we going to get out of it? We're an in-focused church, how are we going to move into being an outward-focused church seven years ago? Those are the pieces that make the most sense to me in the world. And although every Mathean is, of course, unique, there are some typical characteristics of a Mathean based on all of this. And each Mathean is different. Personality also speaks into it. But there is one tennis shoe company in the world that is more famous for their logo and for their brand than any other. And that is what? Nike. And what is Nike's slogan? Just do it. Just do it. it. If you actually want to put Matthews into one three-word sentence, this probably just takes care of it. Just do it. But Nike has nothing on Matthews. There are some traits of these Matthews. First, Matthians are disciples with an active faith. They don't need someone to tell them to do something. Usually they're already doing it and doing whatever needs to be done many times before anybody's even asked them to do it. They're already doing it. Matthians see a need and they just fill it. My good friend Roger is up here in the camera booth here for the first time. And guess what Roger would resonate with the most? He's a Matthew. We talked about it on Wednesday night. Roger also comes around and takes care of the trash and does other things. He's been helping you as an usher. He helps to take temperature checks. He does whatever it is that he, he can do. His wife, Chris, was talking about he's such a Matthew, aren't you, on Wednesday night. They came or in person with me on Wednesday night. And even though they just, they just do it, they do like a good plan. And they thrive with a checklist. Matthians like and love checklists, even if that checklist is on the back of their hand. 
And some Mathians I know write on the back of their hand everything they're supposed to do, like my wife, Susan Squires, who needs to come up now because you're waiting for something that's already happened. So come on up. Come on up. This is a rare opportunity, so to have us both in the same place having this conversation out of her comfort zone. Don't kill me. Would you rather just stand there? I don't know yet. You don't know yet? Okay. Would you rather just leave it on that and be able to do your talking? Sure. Can I hold this for you? No, it's perfectly fine. Okay. That's a Mathian. Okay, take your mask off. Thank you. So, the, so the biggest the biggest question is is that I think the book is your safety support there, huh? Sure. Okay. The, the only question I, that I wanted to ask is is just what about this when you took it? What about this uh, resonated with you at being a Mathian? What was like all, of all those characteristics? What was the one characteristic you said again and again was the one that says, "Yep." When I read that, I knew that I, that's who I was. So when I took it and it printed it off, and I did it last Saturday morning because he had been he had been asking me, "Have you done it? Have you done it? Have you done it?" And I'm going, uh, "No, I haven't had the chance. I haven't. Excuse me, I haven't taken the opportunity to sit down and do it because I've been a little focused at work. You know, when you feed people in a pandemic, you feed people very differently than what I did last this time last year. So the one that just really spoke to me was lead, follow, or get out of the way. And that sounds a little strong to everybody, but those of you who know me, I don't have to lead. I don't have to. I can follow. But I have to follow somebody who's strong. Is that all you want to say? About that, yes. Oh, you have something else? Well, I didn't know what all you would ask me. So I actually, I actually read, and I actually underlined. Well, tell them something else. I mean, I'll get to the other parts. I'll come back to it. But tell them something else. Then tell them something well, else. Well, and the other thing, so if I continue reading in the book, it says, Matthew, a hardworking hands to the plow people. Well, I was raised on a dairy farm. Cows have to be milked twice a day, 365 days a year. They do not take Thanksgiving off, spring break off, fall break off. There's always a job to be done. Mm. And the sooner you step into the plate and do that job, then you can go do other stuff. Yeah. So the sooner you address the problem and deal with it, you can move on to other stuff. That makes sense. Anything else you underlined in there you liked? Oh, yeah. They love plans and planning. Love plans and planning. I have to have a plan. I'm not a very spontaneous person. When we go on trips, what do we do? Oh, we have a plan. And I tell you what to do. That's right. We have an itinerary where we're going to go, and she's researched all the places we're going to go, and and I drive the car from place to place, and she tells me where we're going to get out, and we're going to go do something fun, see the largest ball of twine, and then we're going to get back in the car and go on to the next piece. That's what we do. And don't change my plans. And don't change the plans. So in other words, if you find something at the last minute, don't do it, because it's not in the plan. We did that when we were in... Um, what did we find? Oh, it was in Wisconsin when we all of a sudden found out that we were next to yeah, we were next to one of the Frank Lloyd Wright yeah. places. That it was an hour and a half out of our way. She said, "Nope, it's not part of the plan. We don't have time to get there." I'm like, "Come on!" She said, "Nope." But I'm going to plan that trip again. Okay. I promised. I got it. And I will do it. Okay. The other thing that those of you know me and the reason this has been in our house, and I'm, if you've been to our house. Sometimes it has to come down at Christmas because, you know, we undecorate the house for Christmas because Christmas is so big. 
so I'll move out of the way, but it says, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and I could say to him, I used everything that you gave me. Can I borrow that for the camera? Of course you can. Thanks. And that's really who I am. Um, I like a plan, and when I have a plan, I can be calm. Even when things change, I can be calm about what I need to do. Done? Do you want me to talk about the realm of discipleship and witness and what resonates? No, but we can talk about that for this for the uh, this, uh, devotional this week. Okay. How about that? You got it. Awesome. Thanks, Susan, for coming up and outside our comfort zone. So Susan mentioned lead, follower, get out of the way. It was the first word she said. I read that. She's like, that's me. Lead, follower, get out of the way. Matheans are as likely to lead as they are to follow. First, they love to be followers of Jesus. They love to listen and learn from the teachings of Jesus. But they are the Martha in the house, not the Mary. They are going to be the ones to go and do it. They're not going to be the ones to sit and to be able to do that piece of it. But as we said earlier, not just to learn to know, but to learn to go and do what they need to do for Jesus. Matheans are hardworking, hands to the plow people, milking the cows twice a day kind of people, every day. So give them good instructions, and they're happy to follow your instructions, right? I got a Matthean up there too, self-avowed, right there in the corner. I got another one there too. Got some Matheans in the balcony today. However, Matheans don't have a lot of patience for disorganization. So if those they are following are not moving toward action or making things or they're making things necessarily complicated, a Matthean is likely to step in and to take over as soon as they see that it's disorganized. Matheans who have a clear vision for how things should be done will step into leadership because they are natural leaders at times when they're needed. And here is something for those of us who are Matheans and me especially that need to be aware of. That their matter-of-a-fact approach can be off-putting to Lucans in particular. Matheans drive Lucans crazy. Yeah, right? Amen? All right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> As a Lucan upstairs next to the Matheans says... You know, Matthews are unlikely to see that because they want to get things done, they just don't see the relationship part of it. And if any of you know me, that's a hard thing. Especially when I get in that mode of getting things done. Let's just get it done. No pleasantries? Let's just get it done. People can either be their greatest asset in that work or an annoying hindrance. And I just wanted to say, if over the last six months in any way, if I've hurt somebody or said some things or been short or a broken time or something that happened on camera or whatever else, I just wanted to say I'm sorry for that. It's been a really, really hard time. I think the hardest time in my life and probably the hardest time in your life to figure out how to relate to one another in a world we don't understand anymore because I don't understand this world anymore. It doesn't work the same way as it did. One of my favorite praise songs is, and has always been, Here We Are to Worship. That's Matheans. And, and, and Matheans, 
moments. They love all the programs that go on at church. They're probably involved in all the programs that happen at church. But the biggest thing for, for us, though, is worship. And Matt and Matthias, I think everybody thinks the same way about that. What I mean by that is they expect full participation in worship. I don't know how many times you know, we've, we've had conversations over the years, had conversations about who's singing, who's not singing, why is nobody singing, what's going on, what, what, where's the connection, what's, going, what's happening. All the time we have this discussion. They, they'll use, appreciate unison prayers, shared creeds, they like liturgy, the things that happen back and forth. They expect people to sing the songs or at least stand and move with the music. People that aren't engaged, it's really hard to understand. Matthias affirm vows and liturgy and they expect that lay people were contributing significantly to worship. They, they want that. They want everybody to be involved and to be engaged. And also because of their appreciation of to-do lists, Matthias will appreciate a bulletin or an order of worship. Now if this drives you nuts, here's where the dividing line definitely is. There are those who love a bulletin and there are those who don't want a bulletin. Let's just let it go and just be its own way. All right? All right? The two different groups. You know, the bullets and the structure, the order of worship, know what's going to happen next. It was, it was funny. We talked about all last, this last week about Mark and worship last week. And I was struggling trying to figure out where I was going to be going next. And so by the end of the service, I was so worn out. I just wanted to sit down because things were changing so quick. And I'd forgotten to do the 11 o'clock script. So I had no script for 11 o'clock. And I was just trying to, to, trying to figure it out as I went. And all the markets like, no problem with that. It's all good. All good. And, and, and there's the difference. And if there's, not the patent, if there's not a bulletin in order of worship, it should be predictable from week to week so they know what is next. Matthians can be flexible in their order of worship, but they prefer an alert that things are going to happen so they are ready. And then four, Matthews are mission people. And so Dana, by virtue of video, as she'll be induced at 3 o'clock today in the afternoon, is going to share with us her Mathean stuff. So you think? You think so? But I did want to speak about where I fall in this discipleship um, sermon series that we're all doing together. So I am a Lucan Matthean. <clears throat> but since Matthean's are today, I'm going to speak about that. So Matthean's are people of action. Um, I'm sure you're going to hear that a lot today about how Matthean's are just do it. Like <laughs> the Nike <clears throat> slogan. Um, and that's very true. Like... When the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and when I feel that weight upon my heart, it's almost like, it feels like gravity. It feels like a gravitational pull to do the thing that the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. And I have to satisfy that by doing what I'm told to do. Like it's, there, There's going to be conflict in my heart, in my spirit, Unless I follow that that leadership and and do what I need to be doing. <clears throat> For instance, this past Sunday, um, the praise team and I we were supposed to end on a completely different song than we did, and that's because during the during the sermon, um, 
the Holy Spirit just laid on my heart that we need to do a different song, and so we did it. And I can't ignore that Holy Spirit pull when I feel it. Another way is we are very mission-minded. So when I used to work at this music academy in Franklin, I loved working for that company. They were an awesome company. I loved teaching piano with them. But every year that I was there, I would see, especially the Feed the Need, the Feed the Need missions that would happen, and I would see the pictures on Facebook and people pulling the food out of the trucks, people being escorts and walking the people through the lines, people getting the food organized and everything. And I just felt so antsy. I felt that pull of the Holy Spirit that I needed to be with my church family. I needed to be with these people. And that's also part of the Lucan part of me is that I love people. The way that I minister is to seek people out where they are and to form relationships with people individually. So that's just a couple of the ways that I identify as a Mathean. Another way is just who I am in this church family as your music minister. Since I was a little girl, I have been in music, trained in music and all that stuff. But I remember going to a church like Revival. I was raised in Nazarene Church, and so we had these revivals, and I was in a church revival. And I was playing piano and singing with a couple other people. We had a little special that we were doing. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of purpose. And I just knew at that moment that music ministry is where I belonged. And that was, I was probably 13 at the time. And I just knew that the rest of my life was going to be music ministry. And I was thrilled. You know, some people, you know, they run from their God calling, but I was excited about mine. So in leading worship, that's where my heart is because I want to encourage others in worship. I don't want to say the facilitator because the Holy Spirit is the facilitator of worship, but I want to be the welcome beacon of the Holy Spirit to move among us. So that's why I'm a music minister today. So I hope that you guys are having a wonderful service, and I will definitely be sending you some baby pictures soon. So I love you all. Bye, Dana. Yeah, you can clap for her. So Matthews are mission people. All types get something out of mission, but Matthews particularly thrive in mission work. Like Dana talked about, going out to people in need and doing something to make their lives better. That's where the rubber meets the road for Matthews. While often their opportunities are one-time or short-term missions, Matthews sometimes commit to something longer-term if they find it's worth it. 
We have to see it's worth it because the immediate results are not always visible. And if they can't see that things are changing, we're liable to stop because we see no purpose. And if you know Matthews in your life, they always tend to take on practically every project that comes their way. That's why a mission statement of purpose is necessary. Matthians need crystal clarity about what they are supposed to focus on. And so a clear mission statement and a vision for accomplishing that mission keeps them focused. And that makes total sense to me. I need that vision, that mission, to keep me focused on whatever it is that we're supposed to do. But Matthians are also known as the over-volunteers. Every Matthean knows this. They need that clarity of mission because they will volunteer practically anything and they'll particularly volunteer if no one else steps forward quick enough. A project or task that has no one lined up for it creates anxiety for Matheans. And they're likely to volunteer rather than asking if the project is truly one that reflects the passion and the gifts of the people, like a Markinwood, for instance. In other words, yes, it is the Matthews of the world that will keep doing something because it is something to do or something that we have always done. And unlike Markins, who will assume if the right person is not stepping forward, there's definitely time for that thing to die. And because Matheans will continue to put themselves out over there over and over again, they have a tendency to exhaust themselves. They are the ones that get burned out first. Churches tend to attract Matheans because they keep things running. If we didn't have the Matthews and the others in our, in our life, then we wouldn't have the same level of volunteers. I feel like probably a lot of Matheans and a lot of Lucans come out to do, for instance, feed the need. Those two things really seem to, to gravitate and go together and pull people out in a way that they don't normally come out. But as a church, we really need to love and support them by asking them only to do the things that serve the mission and vision of the church, not just everything. A church that's not clear in those things will lose its best workers simply because the church wore them out. I've heard tales of that here, a pumpkin patch that went awry one time. There are all kinds of things that we keep somebody doing the same thing over and over and over again and they just finally get tired and worn out. And as we learn with each disciple type to close, they all have a spiritual crisis. The Matthean spiritual crisis is we did nothing. We did nothing. Those are hard words for Matheans to deal with. Matheans will lose their mind in a place that is not doing anything for others. A church that sits around and gazes at its navel will run them off. That's not who they are. Matheans need to be doing something. And they need to be doing something that makes a difference in the lives of people. And maybe that's probably been one of the hardest things to try to figure out over the last six months. We sat around for hours upon hours trying to figure out how do we restart missions? How do we, how do we start helping all these kids in the schools who aren't going to have food after they end it in July? And we spent you know, all this time trying to figure out how to have these food drops. And, and Davis and I even went down ourselves to get the food and bring it all back so we could do it. And you know, all this kind of stuff because 
we couldn't do nothing. Another thing that will keep deep issues for us is if they learned their work actually did harm. That's very hard. Their work did harm. These precautions that we have in place, whether from the conference and from the state and the CDC and all those kind of things, the the mask that Shelly's wearing right now that says, do no harm from John Wesley, those words have been reiterated in every church around in Methodism. Some so much so you couldn't do anything. Others didn't do anything. We just don't want to do harm. Doing harm is the worst thing for us. For instance, during the flood of 2010, when I was in charge of the donation center in Cheatham County, using my gifts, probably one of the best times of my life, I fully utilized my gifts. People would go out without letting us know they were going out into the teens. And they would go to houses that weren't even their houses. And they would go and start taking things apart. They wanted to help so much. It happens every disaster. They want to get out there first thing, take a chainsaw, and go out and cut everything up and take care of everything. And so they go out with any kind of understanding of what's going on. So in this one house, they went through and started breaking stuff down and started taking stuff out and that sort of thing. And the people showed up who lived in that house and saw their stuff being dismantled in front of their eyes. Do no harm. Sometimes you need to wait to be able to see what it is. You need to have a plan before you just go in and act. The good news is well-trained Matheans can take the time to consider the consequences of the actions they take. They want to think about that. Before they move forward, they may be slower, but they want to consider the consequences. Is this thing going to be a good thing? Wait, don't go out yet. Wait till we have everybody taken care of. So could you be a Matthew? I'd love to know if this resonates with you today. If you've taken the test and you haven't told me, I'd I'd love to know that. And if you haven't taken it, to take it. And some of the results. And so these are the four types once again. Markins are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matheans are action-driven. Lucans are focused on relationships. And Johns are nurtured by a mentor-apprentice relationship. And all of these things mesh together and they're all over the place and it's messy and all that too. We probably resonate with one or two types. Some of the three, I've got some of those. What kind of disciple are you? Thanks to our guest, Susan. Thanks to our guest, Dana. We appreciate you sharing from your hearts this morning as we have gathered together. And as we think about this World Communion uh, Sunday is today, And in World Communion Sunday, it's the first Sunday of October since 1936 and has become a time when Christians in every culture break bread and pour the cup to remember and affirm that Christ is the head of the ecclesia, the church. And on this day, remember that we are part of the whole body of believers, whether shared in a grand cathedral or in a mud hut or outside on a hilltop or in a meeting house or in a storefront, that Christians celebrate communion liturgy in many ways throughout congregations all over the entire world. That's pretty amazing. It's one of the things that binds us together as a church, no matter our beliefs. And so as we gather this morning at home, I invite you to to gather your bread and your juice together, wherever those might be, or things that you're using this morning. I also hear our things will be out 
as we've done previous the previous month. Thanks to Mathie and Susan for getting that ready for us. This is how it works in my, our house. Last night she asked me, are we doing communion tomorrow? I said, yep. Oh, I wish I would have known that. And then I come in there and she's working on it. And I said, well, is it all coming together? And I said, are you getting it done? She says, yep, I'm getting it done. So I invite Pastor Rick to come forward to be with us. The kids are returning right now. And let's join in this great Thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is a right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, creating God. Even in the midst of strange times around the world, you formed us and breathed life into us. When we got ourselves into that first strange time in the garden, you clothed us and watched over us as we went out to make our own way. Your love kept calling us back to you, and sometimes we heard it. When we stepped into freedom after bondage in Egypt, we were following your love. You have made from one every nation and people to live on all the face of the earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, 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 God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. He commissioned us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and to make disciples of all nations. And today, his family and all the world is joining at his holy table. Jesus proclaimed the coming of the world defined entirely by love. He poured your love over us through healing the sick and eating with sinners. And he challenged us to love one another and ourselves as you loved us all. Around the world, our tables look different and even strange today, but your table was always one defined by love. We love one another even by not partaking of one literal loaf. You gave yourself to us in Jesus pouring love over us, filling us with grace. And on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took the bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The disciples didn't understand. We don't understand. But we remember May our remembering connect us to you and one another, even in such strange times. So let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ, Christ is, is risen. Christ, Christ will, will come, come again. again. 
Pour out your spirit in us gathered here and gathered at home and on these gifts of bread and cup here and those things that we have gathered at our houses, pointing us toward that day when we who are many will partake of one loaf and one cup. Breathe life and love into us and knit us together, even as we eat distance from one another. May these gifts be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for this broken world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Renew our communion with your church throughout the world and strengthen it in every nation and among every people to witness faithfully to your name. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So I invite you to spend some time as Susan comes down and is able to lay out the cups and the bread for us here. To spend some time just in silence, preparing our hearts to receive this opportunity to remember Christ's love for us, Christ's sacrifice for us. Let's prepare our hearts now, both at home and here in person. Gather us together. So I invite you to come down. Come down from the first rows. Come down by the middle. The side sections, please come by the middle. Space yourselves out. Wait till the next person has gotten their bread and juice. Carry it back to your seats. We're all going to take it as one. At home, wait together. We'll all take it together no matter where we are as one body of Christ. So I invite you to come down, starting with the front, these first rows, and just come down and receive. Take it back to your seats. 